Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. Well, basketball is over for us, my man. We're Prematurely. Done. We're done. Um, I would be in a car to Atlanta today if, if Virginia had continued. I'd be on a flight to Boston if Virginia Tech had continued. Neither of that happened. Radford, what about Radford? Yeah, you're leaving right. Radford out of this well, one. As Berman noted, uh, the team. <laughs> Most wins of any Virginia team this year. <laughs> Radford University, congrats! I, I saw that tweet, and then somebody I retweeted Berman's because I thought it was a good tweet, and somebody said, "Well, that's not fair. They got to play a 16." Oh, never mind. <laughs> it's like, oh, that, that's actually pretty good. I kind of wish I had thought of both of those tweets when they happened. Yeah, they were good. Uh, we will have a Schadenfreude minute later uh, talking about the Virginia loss. I know people normally don't like to hear a lot about Virginia for Virginia podcast. Tech fans, not for us, but for Virginia Tech fans. Listening. Sure, they, yeah, they, no, will, it, they will probably revel in the fact that Virginia is the only one seed to ever lose to a 16 seed. Yes, of, of course we'll delve into that, but we'll start with Virginia Tech here. Uh, 86, 83 losers to uh, Alabama. I was shocked by the result. I, you know, it is an eight-nine game. Anything can happen, of course, and it's a close game. It's back and forth the whole the whole way. No more than a five-point lead on either side for the first thirty-five minutes. Ten lead changes. It's the kind of game you expect an eight-nine game. But I really thought Virginia Tech was going to win. We talked about it last week. You you liked Alabama originally, then you kind of flipped. So you you know you kind of had the idea that it's an eight nine game anything could happen. That's how you do it. Yeah. You, cha- you change your opinion, then you can take credit for either side. It's Don't a, be it's surprised. A savvy, it's a savvy veteran move on my part. It's like I really like Alabama, but now that I think about it, don't sleep on Virginia Tech. <laughs> yep, yep. You can take credit for uh, for Alabama getting it done there. Uh, let's start. I think we'll start with what I wrote about, which was primarily defense and also the big picture aspect of sort of hitting the pause button on unmitigated progress. But I want to start with defense because it just looked different. And I asked Bibbs in the post game, I said, you know, did it feel different out there? Did you feel like you were playing a different style or level of defense than you had been? Because, you know, sometimes you can score a bunch of points or somebody can score a bunch of points, but you feel like you played pretty good defense. And, and Bibbs said, yeah, it did feel different. It felt like we kind of lost our way a little bit. Um, Buzz talked a lot about how they, you know, they weren't helping as well as they had been helping. 36 points in the paint for Alabama. That's a big number. Um, it's the first time since that famous, infamous uh, Miami loss at home that they'd given up more than 75 points overall. Andy, your thoughts on, on their defense, um, or do you think it was just a matter of Alabama hitting ridiculous shots? Probably, as it is in most cases, both. Um, I didn't get out there till halftime. I was covering Radford, and I was writing my Radford story. And I got out there at halftime, and it seemed like a lot of ridiculous shots were going in for Alabama. Uh, and it seemed like they just sort of had a hot hand. Like I, mean, they, I would agree that Virginia Tech's defense didn't look like it had the whole time. But sometimes, like, I don't know. I feel like guys were hitting threes with that were, like, contested. What was it, the one guy who had was, like, six of eight off the bench for them? Uh, I looked up his stats, and he had done that a couple times this year, but not with any kind of regularity. Uh, Colin Sexton obviously started out really slow. He kind of got going again. They got to the free throw line quite a bit. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about the refs here in a little bit about that. But, uh, yeah, I think it's just a combination of factors where, yeah, Virginia Tech probably didn't play that well. But I think Alabama had a very nice shooting day that uh, may be atypical a little bit. You don't shoot 60% and it's all just bad defense. I mean, you have to be on the mark 
uh, when you're doing that too. But I agree, it, it didn't quite look like the same. And I don't know if I want to say intensity, but just something was different uh, about Virginia Tech and the way it had played defensively for the last couple games. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of like in a football game where you don't get a lot of rushing yards with a team that normally gets a lot of rushing yards. You know, usually you just blame the offensive line, and that probably could be a little lazy at times. And just to see a high number next to the other team's uh, score, you know, on the scoreboard, I don't, I don't know that that necessarily means they played terrible defense. But what I, what I did – Notice and did point out in the column is look look this is what after that Miami game what they had decided to go all in on was we're going to keep people out of the lane that's how they beat Virginia they just kept Virginia out of the lane uh, Virginia chucked up I think it was 36 three-point attempts in that game and didn't make enough of them to beat Virginia Tech um, they wanted to keep people off the foul line they wanted to make sure they were in position to avoid offensive rebounds there was one stretch in this Alabama game where there was like a dunk a tip in and a dunk, and then somebody else got to the free throw line on the next possession. And it's just like, I know Sexton's really quick, and I know he's really, uh, you know, hard to handle, but that just seemed to run counter to everything that they'd been about for the past few weeks. Yeah, and I don't it, it didn't just seem like they got contributions from everybody in that game. Like, it seemed like Chris Clark and Devin Wilson and a couple of those guys – Ahmed Hill had been so key during their run, and they had really good games. And I looked at the stat sheet. I know everything those guys do don't show up in the stat sheet all the time, but uh, it was late in the game, and I think Clark had like one rebound or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, you know, Devin Wilson didn't have any stats across the board except for maybe like one steal in there. And I, again, I know he's not a stats guy, but I feel like those guys filled it up a little bit more and gave a little bit more tangible contributions than maybe they had in this game. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a contribution of a lot of factors. You can't get in foul trouble like Blackshear did. He had to sit down, comes back in, and fouls out in like five seconds later yeah. on an offensive foul. When he came in, I, I was sitting next to uh, Tommy, our online guy at the game. I'm like, over, under, on how many minutes until Blackshear fouls out? And I think we said it like two. And like, it, I think it was 17 seconds. I want to say Will Stewart at Tech Sideline timed it. And it's, it was 17 seconds later, and he fouled out. It was a legit foul, too. I mean, he, yeah. he like, you know, kind of dipped his shoulder into the guy as he was driving. Uh, the Justin Robinson fouls later, we, that's a little bit more debatable, those. But, you know, that's been the issue with Blackshear all year is foul trouble. Can he stay out of it? And, and he couldn't in this game. And, you know, like we said, an 8-9 matchup, the smallest of margins will tilt the favor one way or the other. I mean, that's just the way those games are all the time. So... Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's anything to hang their heads about with this loss or anything like that, but obviously didn't do enough to win this particular game. Yeah, and that's essentially what I said. I mean, you you, you hit the pause button on unmitigated progress. That's what you did with this. Uh, you're still There's still progress that was made this season, of course. Making back-to-back NCAA tournaments is, is something that hadn't happened in more than three decades since Del Curry was on the roster. I mean, that's obviously an accomplishment. Um but I think, you know, we talked about it last week. What would a win mean? What would a loss mean? Well, what we said was, well, loss would mean that you didn't make that next step that you were looking to make. And I think part of that uh, process is getting a little better seed. It gives you a little better chance, obviously, as we're seeing with this ripped up bracket that that doesn't guarantee anything. But if you're playing, you know, if you're if you are a four seed or something like that, maybe you have a little better chance. The last time they won. I think they were a five when they beat Northern Illinois in 2007. Yeah, I think both them and Virginia was. I think Virginia was a four or five in Columbus. Uh, Yeah, 
I, th- I think it's interesting, like, how small the margin of error is on that. I mean, if they beat Miami in that last regular season game uh, in the ACC, they would have been the three seed in the tournament, right? Right. All of a sudden, you're looking at a double bye. You're looking at a better matchup, playing a team that's maybe not as well, obviously not as well rested at the tournament. Maybe you can make a deeper run in that, and as a result, you could maybe get a better seed in the tournament. I know that the ACC tournament doesn't have a huge effect on it, but, I mean, if you make the, the – you know, finals or the semifinals in the ACC tournament, I think that maybe affects you a little bit, certainly more than losing in your first game to a team, Notre Dame, that ended up not even making the tournament. Uh, and maybe if that happens, you get off that 8-9 line. And if you're a 7 versus a 10, it's a little bit better chances of winning. Or if you're a 6 versus 11, I mean, that's it, just, that's how small it is. And, and that's the next step is, I, I think, getting out of this 8-9 game gives you a better chance of advancing in the tournament and, and like you said, I don't think it's like, oh, the program has stalled and can't get going. Is There are stops and stalls along the way of, you know, upward progress throughout this whole thing. It's been a meteoric rise lately, and this is just a little bit leveling off for now. We'll see if they can t- t- take the next step and, and go even higher. Well, no discussion of the Virginia Tech-Alabama game would be complete without discussion of cheating refs. Cheating refs corner. <sighs> cheating refs. You know – we talked about it last week. I said if you're a basketball fan, or if you're a, you're you're a person who gets annoyed by calls not going your way, basketball is the worst sport for you to ever. Part of a, or maybe the best because maybe these people maybe just want to complain all the time. Maybe the best because us. you have the most uh, license to to complain because there's going to be calls that are missed for sure. Um, you know, and I think part of being a college basketball coach is working the refs and all that stuff, and I, that's what I hate about it. I mean, I just don't like that aspect of, uh, you know, that's part of your description is you got to, you know, talk to the refs in a way that that gets gets you the calls and uh, it's just or you know in the NBA, you know, they'll they'll do these things after in press conferences, you know, so they can get calls in the future. Oh, Alvin Gentry just did that yeah. with Anthony Davis and it worked. In the next of game, it did. in the next game if anybody looked at him wrong, he, they got fouled. I think he he got like one foul the whole game or none, something like that. So, yes, it, I mean they do it because it works. Okay, so I'm stipulating ahead of time that that officials have a a giant influence over basketball games. They just do. It's just yes. the nature of the game. However, uh, I am not. However, going, <laughs> I am not going to uh, sit there and say that the, the <laughs> officials cost Virginia Tech this game because of the block charge call that went against them when Justin Robinson was driving the lane. Your thoughts on that play in particular, and um, was it a good call, bad call, and how much influence do you think it had on the result? You look at the replay. And when you slow it down a lot, it looks like the Alabama guy slid in underneath him right at the very last second. Uh, that, however, in real time is bang, bang. That's the toughest call to make as a basketball referee. I was a basketball referee for intramurals in college. That was like the job that I had there. And it is the most thankless, worthless job. Like people would just be like screaming at you. Like, guys, the prize at the end of this is a t-shirt. Like, <laughs> like, like this is not life or death here. Uh, so I, I understand how difficult that call is to make, and I know that sometimes you're just kind of guessing based on what you think you saw because it happened so fast. In re- The block charge can go either way almost all the time. It seems like people are really good at looking like they're set and you know selling the, the, the blogs like, oh, were his feet outside the circle? Was he set as the guy came in? Uh, it looks like it probably should have been a block. I don't think you th- can think the world is ending because it was called a charge. I mean, it, it's so close. 
Uh, it had an impact on the game. I mean, if they call that a block instead of a charge, the basket went in. Is Robinson going to the line? He's probably going to make that. You're down one with 40 seconds left. As it turns out, it's a charge. Robinson fouls out. Buzz turns into a you know Tasmanian devil on the sideline with a towel in his hand and hits at the table and papers are flying everywhere and he's freaking out. Gets teed up. They make a free throw. It's a five-point game. They get fouled. Two more free throws. It's a seven-point game. I mean, it's like a six-point swing right there in that whole thing. So uh, I'm not going to sit here and say it cost them the game. It was obviously a major point in the game to have that uh, kind of turn like that. But uh, I don't think fans can sit here and say, oh, the, the refs cheated us out of that game. As the rather drunk individual Virginia Tech fan who was behind me on press row in like the first row said for the rest of the night like the whole second half he was just i mean he was like making very like not threats that you can take seriously but like saying some stuff to the refs that you're just like oh come on man just stop you're embarrassing yourself and i think finally after the game like somebody's like could you just could you just stop <laughs> could you just shut up and stop doing this for a while he had been overserved, uh so i can you know maybe that's an excuse for it but uh yeah i, I don't think the Hokies can look at this game and go Purely cheated by the refs, otherwise they played the perfect game and would have won. I mean, there were enough things that happened in that game. There's 20 things that happened before that final block charge that happened that could have changed the course of the game that the Hokies had control over, and they didn't do to win it. All right, two more stipulations here. Stipulation A, Virginia Tech fans love Buzz Williams. Stipulation B, Virginia Tech fans hate refs. But I'm still going to say that is inexcusable behavior. You can't do it. You, you yeah. can't do that. I, I've, you know, back in the days where I actually cared about Maryland basketball, you know, if Gary Williams would get a technical, that was the nothing made me more upset than him costing us any kind of opportunity to win that game. I think you're right. I think the game was over once. You know, once those two free those original two free throws would have been hit, you know, making a six point game, it's pretty much impossible to come back. But not not. Not a, totally impossible. I mean, it's, it's possible. But it's just very, very slight. Well, chance. they had just stolen the inbounds pass yeah. before that, I, I believe. Uh, so I mean, they, they, you've seen it happen all the time. You see it happen in this tournament where teams are down twenty-two and they come roaring back and win it. I mean, these are college kids in high-pressure situations that aren't going to perform perfectly in all those situations. You have a chance if you don't get that technical there. You get the technical. Uh, I mean, obviously, Robinson fouling out with Blackshear already fouled out. It's going to be a, a really tough task to do, but they didn't have any chance once they got the technical, and then they're down seven all of a sudden. Yeah. All right, well, let's put a bow on the on Virginia Tech season. They lose Justin Bibbs, and they lose Devin Wilson. Those are two guys that uh, were big contributors. Uh, Wilson more this year than any other. Uh, Bibbs, you know, been a contributor throughout his career. You know, good shooter, um, you know, quality leader, all those types of things. But they should have a good team coming back next year. We'll see what the transfer market brings. Sometimes there's uh, unexpected departures and things like that 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 uh, rattle the roster some. But given what we assume they'll have back next season, uh, another NCAA bid seems probable. Yeah, and I mean, you always look for like veteran presence on a team, especially like Virginia Tech, where they're not going to get the one and dones or anything like that. And Robinson will be a senior. Chris Clark will be a senior. Blackshear will be a redshirt junior. Uh, Outlaw. Come, Outlaw coming back as a senior. Uh, Ahmed Hill will be a senior. I mean, that's a lot of veteran presence on this team. 
Uh, you got Alexander Walker as a sophomore who I, I think could really take a step forward in his game next year. He's pretty good this year. I yeah. think he can be obviously much better next year. That's a pretty talented team, and that's one that I think they'll compete in the ACC pretty well. Um, I, I think it's a team that could take the next step. I think that that could that could be the team that gets them over the hump in the tournament. I mean, provided they get a better seed than they have and, and just play better uh, coming down the stretch. But I mean, sometimes you look at some of these games that they've had where they've been up somewhat early, like you know, double digits in the first half or something like that, and they lose the lead in the second half. And some of that comes down to sort of composure, mm-hmm. and you'd expect that out of your veteran guys. I mean, it was uh, you know Chris Clark gets the technical. Uh, when he pushes Matt Farrell at the ACC tournament, and that's a senior getting a junior, a true junior, to kind of lose his cool in a situation. And he probably cheating refs. Chris Clark didn't really push him that hard. I think Farrell obviously sold it, but maybe that's something you expect out of your 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 senior guard to be able to pull a stunt like that and get the call. Uh, so I, I think just the the more experience you have, that's where you t- see teams like Virginia Tech that aren't going to get the five-star guys all the time i mean you need to develop guys over time then you you look at certain years where it kind of all comes together and they look pretty good well you you talk about veteran leadership and it's sort of like what what i've always talked about with the virginia tech baseball program is it's like maybe you get to the ncaa tournament once every four years when you have a great class you know a great class that comes through and is well seasoned to to see the virginia tech basketball is in a point and in a stage in their progress and their growth where three um, straight NCAA tournament bids is not only possible but likely has that ever been done at Tech? That, I don't, I think don't it has. know I'd have to look that up but I mean it's 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 a great place for them to be uh, they're certainly in a uh, much better place than they were uh, not very long ago so uh, you know we'll we'll get ready for next uh, November and see what see where the chips fall on that. Here's, here's a question I have for you, and I got this in the mailbag a couple weeks ago, All right. and it was about longevity at a certain place. And the question was essentially, you know, you feel like Hokies fans got spoiled by Frank Beamer being there so long and Bud Foster being there so long. What is What would you put the over-under on how long Babcock, Fuente, Buzz Williams will be there separately? Uh, and since we're talking about basketball right now, let's focus on Buzz. And I'm curious to hear what you would say for Buzz. I'll tell you what I said after. I, I want to hear yours. Without I'm pretty sure I answer. read your response to that. It may color my own. But, I, yeah, uh, I think maybe three more years is the over-under on Buzz. I, I kind of feel like uh, – and I think you did notice note this in your, in your response. But uh, with Tech basketball, there are other jobs out there that are much more attractive than Tech basketball. Uh, tech football, the way, I mean, you know, there's there's arguments to be made that, yes, while there are other jobs out there that are more prestigious or uh, maybe give you a better shot to win a national title, those kinds of things, there is a lot to really like about being the head football coach at Virginia Tech. I mean, football matters a, a lot in Blacksburg. Um, you know, you you wonder how much basketball matters still. I mean, I know there's uh, there's people that have come on board and are excited about this program, but there's still moments where you go to games and you see those pockets of empty seats and you say, well, are they still, are they still, do they still need more of a nudge before they really get into this? I said two years in the mailbag. Uh, That would give Buzz six years here, which was how long he was at Marquette. I know the circumstances changed at Marquette, uh, but you're right. Basketball just isn't the big deal in Virginia Tech that it is at other places. And it seems like Buzz's name has popped up on this coaching carousel 
every year. Yeah. And I mean, Fuente's name popped up last year and he pretty quickly dismissed it. <laughs> so you see Buzz's name pop up all the time and you wonder, well, where's this interest coming from? How's his name getting out there? Is his agent pushing it or something like that to, to help his deal? I don't know if his Buzz legitimately looking elsewhere, but if you pop up every single year on it, I think eventually something's going to hit and you'll take it. And when you see the kind of jobs that come open, I mean, Louisville's open right now. I think you know, a lot of people are saying Chris Mack from Xavier is the, the logical choice to go there i wonder if xavier comes open i mean i know that's not a power five but you look at some of the teams this year uh like villanova and xavier are one seeds and they don't play at you know the perceived major conferences out there and i know basketball is different than football but uh like the really rich conferences uh in football and basketball uh, th- those aren't in those kind of conferences so i don't know I, i'm curious to see kind of how this offseason plays out i think with the kind of guys they have come back i, I think there's plenty of reason for buzz to be like hey we got a real shot next right. year so it's, it's not like like oh i had this huge class they just graduated now i've got to move on but i've always just, just kind of got the impression that this is maybe a step to a larger thing for buzz and his coaching career oh i totally agree and, and the sheer volume of, of basketball teams and programs that probably think we're just one really good coach away from really doing something special with this program is much higher than it would be for a football on in football i think um and Buzz has been something of a magic man here. He was something of a magic man at Marquette. I mean, he's well, Marquette. He, he kind of, I mean, Tom Crean built that up. At yeah, Marquette. but you're still making Elite Eight. You're going to the Sweet Sixteen. I know, three years but it, it's it, what he's done at Virginia Tech to me is far more impressive than what he's done at Marquette. Even though Marquette went further in the tournament, because Marquette had sort of a basis of success, whereas right. Virginia Tech didn't have any of that baseline of success. I mean, it, it had the Greenberg years where they were probably better in the ACC than people ever thought, but what, one NCAA tournament appearance that whole time? Correct. I mean, he's make, he's taken them twice. I, I just looked it up. Three in a row has never been done at Virginia okay. Tech. So this is doing stuff in Blacksburg that's never been done. I, I think that's more impressive than Mark... You know, Mar- I realize Marquette's not this huge school that it was way back in the, the 80s or whenever they made the final... It was it Al McGuire was the coach and they made the final four... I don't know. I, I think I think that was the case with Marquette, but uh, there was a history there, and Tom Crean had taken them to the Final Four with Dwayne Wade. Uh, so he, I, I just think this is more impressive what he's done here. I think Buzz is the type of person he likes to be the underdog. Uh, that's sort of his his he's always kind of preached that mentality. And, you know, just given his upbringing and the fact that, you know, he nobody knew who he was and then he, he became something, I think he st- as long as he can still get that feeling here where there's more he can accomplish at Virginia Tech, and I think he's got that feeling now, um, you know, watch, as soon as we turn off this podcast, he'll take a job somewhere else. <laughs> but <laughs> It's usually how it works, right? <laughs> but I think, you know, I think you're right. I think, you know, with what he's got coming back, you know, this is a, this is a, a good challenge for him to try and take this to a next step. Uh, but then once you've started doing that and maybe you feel like you've, you've maxed out what you can do, maybe your head gets on a swivel. He is the unique guy. Like yes. he's, he's a bizarre guy. If you're around, he's got, I mean, they, his methods work, obviously he's a very successful coach, but could you ever see him coaching in a place like, I mean, these jobs obviously aren't open, but like Duke or North Carolina or Kentucky, or would he need sort of that outsider feel to like truly be buzz? Like if you're in North Carolina, like nobody respects us. It's like everybody respects you. You're in North Carolina. You can't play that card when you're here. I realize coaches play the disrespect card with anything they can find, but would he be different if he were in one of those jobs versus where he is at Virginia Tech? Exactly. 
Well, it's that point of the podcast where Virginia Tech fan tans, <laughs> Virginia Tech fans get to feel a little better because we're going to talk about Virginia. The story we don't of, have any theme music for this or anything. <laughs> I, we probably should. Have, I'm sure. I'm sure we could get some fan submissions from the Hokie side about what we could play here too. Just insert insert the Pimpleton music in in post production. <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> that would make everyone feel better for a variety of reasons. This is the story of the first round, obviously. The story of the probably the story of the tournament. Um, it's we'll, a historic. We'll I mean, it's historic. They were talking about the upsets, UMBC beating Virginia by twenty, by twenty, which is the biggest part. But they're comparing it to the Miracle on Ice, uh, Buster Douglas knocking out Mike Tyson. What was the other? There's another pretty famous upset that was like on the list of upsets. I, I people what, like, like Super Bowl uh, three or whatever. Uh, yeah, Joe that Damon. was the other one. Yeah. The 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 Colts or Jets beating the Colts in Super Bowl three. And somebody else threw in like Harvard women beating Stanford. I think it was Stanford as a sixteen versus one. It's like nobody. I didn't even know that happened. Quite honestly, like uh, I might I might even be getting the teams wrong. So that shows you how much I. I it was Harvard. Know. I don't remember who they beat. Yeah, it, I'm pretty sure it was not UConn. No, uh, but yeah. I don't really put this in the same category, even though it's a 16 versus one, just because in terms of like magnitude and attention that it got, it's, it's certainly not on that level. But do you compare it to some of those events? Well, you know, I'm an odds guy and I pointed this out in my column that I wrote uh, for, I guess, Saturday or Sunday, whatever paper it was. I think it was Sunday's paper. But, you know, if you look at just the sheer odds to win outright, it was 20 to one. Um, that's good. That's a good number. But, you know, this is uh, not astronomical i mean buster douglas was 43 to 1 or 47 to 1 depending on which uh odds you're looking at depending on where in japan you got your your bed in on time yeah right. <laughs> that's where it took place right wasn't it japan uh somewhere yeah somewhere in the far east and then that was uh people said that contributed to uh tyson's have you se- have you ever seen a documentary about that defeat i haven't no they're just like well like tyson like didn't like wasn't focused at all. And like the trainers were even like, they had to like do an ice pack over his eye and they didn't have an ice pack. Cause he'd never been like, <laughs> like that before. They said it was a condom that they had filled with water and were like tap water and putting it on his eye. Yeah. That, that was what they were using to ice his eye down. So maybe, maybe Tyson didn't take the fight all too seriously there. Yeah. I mean, it's like glass Joe winning, uh, winning that first round match. I mean, it just doesn't happen and nobody, Nobody's young or old enough to know what Glass Joe is, right? Or Pist- I, I Piston get Honda. It. Piston Honda was tougher. Glass Joe. You, if you lost a Glass Joe, like <laughs> you put the controller down and went out of the room or something <laughs> like that. And even then, I don't know if he had the the tenacity to actually punch Little Mac. But I don't think when I envisioned a sixteen beating a one, and I thought it could happen eventually. Even though I covered Radford over this, and I kept writing, "It'll never happen." They're like, "Oh, it's never happened yet," and they didn't really stand any kind of a chance. And then the next day, this comes out and happens. I always thought it would be like a buzzer beater, of course. Or they uglied up the game. It was like forty-five to forty-four, and then they got some sort of tip-in basket or something like that. That's how it go. Three star players got hurt, right? UMBC just beat them yeah. from start to finish. And I I don't know if I've ever seen a one seed, certainly not in that round, just give up. I mean, they just looked like they had nothing in that game. And I've never seen a team just have no response or no, like, uh, you know, like a fiery moment. Like, all right, let's go. This is where we turn this thing around. It just never came. It, they just kept punching them. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. The one I likened it to just – for historic impact was Leicester City, and this will be our soccer minute. For oh, the day. for God's Leicester sake. City winning the uh, 
the English Premier League title a couple years ago. Now, the odds there were a lot different. That was 1,000 to 1 at the, at the minimum. But it had never, you know, it, it changed. It rocked the foundation of our sports belief system. It, it changed what we thought was possible. You Going into that season, a team like Leicester City was not going to win the Premier League title. That's one thing you knew. They just weren't going to win that thing. And then all of a sudden, they, they win it. And they win it, you know, pretty comfortably, all things considered. Same with UMBC. I think what's happened here is that, you know, all these questions that we asked before these 16-1 matchups now have more gravity. They actually mean something when you say, well, you know, can you get beat by these guys? And they say yes. Well, you can. You've seen it happen. What, what was it? Roger Bannister to ran the sub four-minute mile. Four-minute mile. I mean, maybe, It became possible. Maybe you see more of these types of things. Although, I don't know. The other 16 seeds were blasted by an average of 20.3 points this year. So, uh, yeah, but Kansas looked bad early. I mean, Penn was leading in the first true. half, and then you know Kansas just woke up and came back. I mean, that, that was the same kind of result that this Virginia UMBC game was. Only Virginia didn't have a response like Kansas did. Um, so I, I was stunned by. It. I mean, I had Virginia winning the whole thing. Obviously, I did not see this coming, but I can't imagine anybody saw it coming. I, I don't even think UMBC UMBC lost to like Albany by like forty something yeah. points in yeah. the regular season. Did anyone think that this team had the, the chance to beat the number one overall seed in the tournament? No. And it's not like Virginia got that seed by a fluke. Like, they were legitimately that good. They were that good of a team. Nobody in the ACC could really touch them. The Hokies beat them uh, by a sliver in overtime and were fortunate to do it in the overtime session. Probably should have won it in regulation. But, uh, I mean, it's just... It's so stunning that you can go through a league like the through a league like the ACC and make Duke and North Carolina... And all these other teams look foolish, and then you get up against this team, and you just have no answers. Yeah, I. They asked me on the radio locally here one one time earlier this season, what what's Virginia's weakness, and I said the only time I saw them really look vulnerable, uh, besides the Virginia Tech game where they missed all those shots and Virginia Tech you know, played a sound strategy and packed it in and all those things, was the end of the Syracuse game. They, they, Syracuse was kind of, they were down like 10 points. It was back in January, I think. And, and Syracuse started pressing much like they did at the end of that um, regional final game where they came back from that large deficit to beat Virginia. But they started pressing and Virginia turned it over almost every single time. And Syracuse made it interesting, you know, got, got it down to like six or something like that. But I was like, that was a red flag to me just that, wow, they, these guards can be hassled a bit. You know, they're good guards, they're great shooters. Uh, Ty Jerome is a fearless, fearless player, uh, and so is Kyle. But the, I think that some of that happened in this game. You know, they went out. That was their strategy. We're going to go hassle the crap out of your guards, and it's not necessarily a full-court press or anything like that, but it's as soon as they get across the line, we're going to hassle them and make them make decisions. Uh, they're not going to be able to set up in their, in their you know, wait for a perfect shot scenario and run down the clock. We're going to put pressure on them to make quick decisions and uh, Virginia didn't make good decisions, and Virginia didn't have assisted baskets, and they just didn't do anything right. And uh, that's how you get a result like that, which I didn't think was I'm, – I'm with you. I didn't think it was possible. I had Virginia going all the way too. UMBC, the, the thing – I mean, we'd say, oh, Virginia played terribly in this game and no energy or anything. UMBC was fearless. Yeah. I mean, they, they were like – yeah, Florida Gulf Coast when they kept throwing those alley-oops a couple years ago. Like, they were bombing threes with no regard for humanity, and they were hitting them. I mean, 
they scored what fifty three points in the second half against Virginia. How many teams didn't do that in the ACC in an entire game this year? Right. Uh, it just I I think by the end Virginia was just defeated and it looked like they were slow on a lot of rotations. Like they're just like this game's over and then you know they kind of ran up the score at that point. Amazingly, a sixteen running up the score on a one. Uh, but yeah, I, I was stunned by the, the overall outcome of that. I'm curious, what do you think of the sort of the overall narrative that seems to be emerging now that Tony Bennett can't win in the tournament? You see, I don't know how big of an emergence that is. I've seen a couple riders say it. Uh, I completely disagree with it. Pat uh, Forty was the, the most national one. Who yeah, I just, I don't, uh, I don't know how you can say that. I mean, the ACC tournament is a tough grind. And they went through that thing and won uh, each of those games in impressive fashion. Um, they just they 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 take your soul, man. Most of the time, that's what they do. They take your soul. They take you completely out of what you do. Um, what did I see? Somebody, I don't remember where I saw this, but somebody said that a tech fan said, "Hey, if you want to make us all happy." Change your style, <laughs> you know. Right, exactly. Change your style. Overreact to Every, this. Everyone who plays you would love for you to change your style, and and so uh, no, I I think you were talking to me off air about how Villanova had been in a situation where it, you know people were questioning whether they could ever break through. Uh, a lot of early exits, you know, a couple Sweet Sixteens, but nothing, no Final Fours, and all of a sudden they win the national title. Um, would just keep, you know keep believing in what they do and keep recruiting well and all those things. Virginia, um, look, I said last week that Tony Bennett, if you put him in a movie, you wouldn't believe him because he's too perfect. Well, perfection doesn't exist. This was an imperfect game. This is about as far from far from perfect as you could be as a as a coach, as a team, as everything. But as a program, I still I still believe him to be. I mean, he's won National Coach of the Year three times. I mean, how many people have done that? Not many. I mean, I he's, he's – I wouldn't change a thing. I would not change it. Yeah, maybe you uh, maybe you need more of an inside presence, scoring presence, you know, and that was uh, – they lost the guy in the preseason that was supposed to be um, that that element for them. But it's still 31-3, and three, man. You yeah, know, you can't 31 argue with three. that. Yeah, it, it's tough to judge somebody's whole career by one game because it becomes very fluky if you go by one 40-minute game. Like, oh, your whole belief system doesn't work there. A couple points on this. Really great coaches have lost those kind of games. It's never been a 16 versus one, but Coach K lost to a, two, a 15 as a two seed a couple years ago against Lehigh. Jim Beheim was famously the first coach to lose as a two seed uh, against Richmond in like 1990 or something like this. Uh, so really good coaches lose like that all the time. To people that say that this sort of defensive first, you can never win a national championship like that or get... Uh, you know, be uh, in the conversation for that. I mean, Syracuse has always been a defensive first team. I mean, people have ragged on Bayheim for the longest time. Oh, you can't win a title with a two, three zone. And then they go and do it. Right. And now you look at them now and they, I mean, they're not exactly lighting up the scoreboard offensively now, but somehow they just beat three teams. They're in the sweet 16. Again, they made the final four a couple years ago with a team that probably shouldn't have been to the final four. And it's all because of their defense. They're playing defensively like that. So, I don't really buy that argument. I, I think there is something to the idea of like every now and then this kind of team that plays like this is going to go through an offensive game like they had, or they're going to go through a, like a 10 minute scoring drought. And they just have to weather that. I remember when I was at Wisconsin in college and Tony Bennett was an assistant Well, he was a quote unquote team manager. And they basically another assistant that they got on the team for his father, Dick Bennett, uh, 
Wisconsin lost to Southwest Missouri, a Southwest Missouri team coached by Steve Alford at the time, like 43 to 32. <laughs> they scored 32 points in an NCAA tournament game. I think it was a 12 over five okay. uh, upset. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, they're never, they'll never be successful at Wisconsin with this style of play. It's so slow. There's no offense. And the next year with a team that was not really that much better offensively, they had some better pieces, but the next year they were an eight seed and they ended up going to the final four because of their defense and how well that played. Uh, in subsequent years, Bo Ryan comes in. They're always a very defensively strong team. They're very methodical on offense, very slow paced. And they eventually got over the hump to get to the final four where they had some players in place that could score a little bit better. I feel like Virginia is the same way. Like if you just keep knocking with this, uh, style of play that you have, eventually there's going to be a breakthrough. I, I don't see any reason to be like, oh my gosh, they're never going to do it now. They'll never live this down. It's like all sorts of programs have lost games like this uh, that have been huge upsets, and they've bounced back from it. Well, the unpre- Maybe this isn't what Virginia Tech fans want to hear about no, this, the, but it's what I feel about it. The unprecedented nature does make it different. I mean, it is it'll, a scarlet letter because of that. Because it'll of- always be brought up for eternity because it was the right. first time a 16 beat a one and and for the way that it happened right. and, and certainly every time the the matchups come out oh a 16 versus one but you know it's happened before <laughs> in the past it's been like well this game's over it's it's never happened i kind of wish it had been a buzzer beater so then that buzzer beater would be shown all of it what do you show from that umbc well, just a just a series of highlights of them I just tweeted wearing this after them the, down i tweeted this after the game like jim nance it has to be like pissed because yeah. he was doing the announcing they, they win it and they're just like dribbling the clock out up by 20 and he's like shock and awe it's like don't try to artificially inflate the moment here there's not the game was over t- 30 minutes ago like it, it's i feel like he felt cheated that he didn't get to have the great call at the end of the game on the upset i think it's i think if i'm not mistaken virginia dribbled the clock the last of the clock out oh did uh, they? they just dropped their weapon and said you know this is you know well, didn't I mean, even, what, what didn't do you even, do well, no point. didn't even heave a three or anything i mean that is like the ultimate you know dominant performance by a 16 now i think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention one of the other the media story of the did you know that a 16 <laughs> have never beaten a one aaron i did i did know that um doug uh our colleague Doug Dowdy, who we both love, and we both uh, love to read his grumpy tweets all the time and stuff, but um, he became persona non grata uh, for his question to Ty Jerome, where he asked Ty in, in the post game whether Ty was aware that a 16 had ever lost to a one, and Ty paused a minute, rolled his eyes, shook his head, said, "Yeah, I think everyone's aware of that. Thanks for bringing it up again." Okay, not the. Uh, in my opinion, you you and I. Disagree. Well, that wasn't the total question, though. He asked that, and he said something to the effect of, "And did you dismiss them because of that, or something like that?" I, um, I think what he said is, "And did you just dismiss that as like not a big deal or whatever?" I, okay, the the point of what the question was, I thought, was whether you can argue whether, oh, did you know that happened? I think pretty much everybody associated with basketball had an idea that that was the the case that sixteen had never beaten a one, but. I thought the way that he ended the second part of it was like, did you take them lightly, essentially? Right. Maybe not stated the best way, but that's what the takeaway that I got from it, which is a legitimate question. Did you take this team lightly because the 16 never beaten a one? That's a legitimate question. Uh, but the snark response, which warranted or not, got all the attention on it. I, I don't think it was as bad as everybody's making it out to be. I just, I hate this idea. It's like, oh, they're kids. Leave them alone. 
what are you hassling with questions? Like, first of all, it's a press conference. It's designed for you to ask questions about this stuff. You can't be upset if every single question isn't uh, some profound masterpiece when you ask it. Here's here's my biggest problem. You know how these things go viral? It's not just Twitter and it's not just Facebook. It's these aggregation sites where these oh, yeah. people put a byline on this thing and they do no reporting. They the just, worst question ever they, asked. That's what it is. They don't yeah. try to contact Doug and find out what he was, you know, what, you know, like that would be reporting is if you like called Doug up and said, hey, you know, hey, I know it's a difficult time for you getting criticized. You know, what's your side of this? You know, that would be like a story that would be that would add something but it's like all these you know every every news outlet has one now si has one and cbs sports has one and, it, and these guys don't do any reporting and they don't mention doug by name they just say this idiot fool yeah right and this bozo and it's like uh i i get i get real you know and virginia fans went really after doug well and, they and needed an outlet they did and i felt so bad for doug because doug is i mean he's He's going to be in the Hall of Fame this this uh, this summer, I guess Spring, it is. Coming up soon. Spring, yeah. He's going into Virginia Sports Hall of Fame along with Frank and, and some others. Um, so, I mean, he knows what he's doing. He's been doing this forever. And, and the one thing that bothered me the most about it was people that were saying that he was trying to insult Ty Jerome or make him feel worse. And that's just not what Doug would do. I mean, he just—he's a UVA graduate for God's sake, and he does—he doesn't—he doesn't show any homerism, but he's also not going to go out there and try to try to make a kid feel terrible. I mean, sometimes you in the I mean, we've both been in situations where we've asked questions and we've gone back later and said, "Well, that wasn't the best question I've ever asked." I do that to myself all the time. Yeah, I do too. I do too. <laughs> it's and, and it's I, inherent with the jobs. You're like, oh, I could have phrased that better. But uh, here's what. Like, it seems to be the thing now that if you ask anything and the, the athlete responds with some sort of snarky response or something like that, everybody's like, oh, put that reporter in his place. And I brought this up beforehand, the Baylor kid a couple years ago, and I think the question was, how does a Yale out-rebound Oregon? And he just gave a literal answer. He's like, well, when you go up and you grab the ball off the rim, that's a rebound. And they got more of those than we did. And everybody's like, best answer ever. Take that, reporter. And it's like... No, he was asking legitimate questions. Like, how do you, a 6'8 guy on Oregon, get out-rebounded by a bunch of Ivy Leaguers? Like, how does it happen? And it didn't get the response that you got, but, it, like, people still, like, Trump in that response is like, that's right. Take that, you old stodgy dean. <laughs> like, that's basically what it comes that's down to. That's the deal. Hey, Andy, that's the deal you and I have made with the devil, man. Oh, yeah. We're, we're, the, we get to go on trips we get and watch basketball for free. for free, but we're never, we'll never win in this situation. We're going to get uh, lampooned by everybody for if the athletes come at us. And it, you know, that's the way it is. This one I will kind of stand up for. I remember a couple years ago, I was on Kyle Bailey's show, and like it, the question like came up like, uh, are media members overreacting to Steph Curry bringing his daughter to the press conference? I'm like, oh god, <laughs> this one's like, should he be doing it? It's like, probably not. But I understand that we're never going to win this argument. No. Like, don't. This is not the hill to die on here, guys. Like, don't do it. You will look like the evil person that is yelling about a four year old girl being up at a press conference. Just don't do it. There's only a few things we can complain about that that will get more vitriol than you know defending somebody who asked a question people didn't like. And one would press be, food, press, press, <laughs> press food. Uh, a boring game. Oh, I'll trade places with you. You know, this is the worst sugar bowl 
I've ever covered. It's like, shut up. Just shut up. Yeah, you. I think there was one uh, guy at the Super Bowl this year. Is like, this is ridiculous. We're waiting outside for 15 minutes in freezing cold weather to get into the stadium. Then people are like, you're at the Super Bowl, dude. Shut up. Well, the bracket in general is is gone haywire. Uh, you know, this, one you were pointing out before we got on here that what one side of the bracket has nothing higher than a three seed, right? Uh, yeah, three and a five. Michigan's a three, Kentucky's a five, Gonzaga's a four. Those are the top seeds on the left side of the bracket as you're looking at it here. So two whole regions. I mean, yeah. That's, that's crazy. And, uh, you know, I know Loyola Chicago was a popular upset pick over over uh, Miami, Miami in that first round, but to, for them to get to the Sweet 16, pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, you know, but you and I both got to look at this Villanova team while we were in Pittsburgh. We saw him play Radford, and then I don't know if you watched. I did watch the Alabama game. I did too. Uh, I just wanted to see what happened there, and Villanova's really good. We still have a chance at a really good Final Four here in terms of solid. uh, I think best-case scenario is what? Villanova, Duke or Kansas, Michigan and Kentucky. That would be one that people go, oh, I recognize all those teams. That'd be pretty good. But the potential is still out there for uh, Loyola – Florida State, Syracuse, and I guess West Virginia is maybe a little bit better known, but Texas Tech and Purdue are maybe lesser known. Maybe Texas Tech would be the oddest one to come out of that. Uh, I've always said, like, the tournament early on is, like, really good with those early upsets, but then this next round that you come up to, you kind of want the higher seeds to win because you don't want to get to the Final Four with, like, oh, an 11 and an 8 and a 7. It's like... I want to see the big dogs play in the Final Four. That's when the Final Fours are, like, great. It's like when that uh, – the year Wisconsin and Kentucky played, where Kentucky was undefeated. Yeah. Like, that was – I know it was a very anticipated game for me as a Badgers fan watching that, but, but like, Kentucky was, like, the USSR. And it's like, can anybody stop this, you know, train that's just rolling through the competition? That's what I want to see. Like, all due respect to Loyola for getting this far, but I don't want to see him in the Final Four. Yeah, it's like if it was an arm wrestling match. You want to see these lower seeds, you know, get that their arm moving down towards the table and then just get whacked and then get, get the riffraff out of there and let's see the best of the best play. I honestly, this is the one event, I think, that I have less interest in the further it goes. This this is... Maybe, you know, yeah, yeah, I can see I, I, I'm very interested on that Thursday and Friday and I'm... I'm I'm pretty darn interested that Saturday and Sunday. And then uh, next Thursday, I don't know. I mean, I, I've got Martinsville Speedway to deal with here this weekend, and I'm not sure how much of it I'll actually be watching. I'm sure we'll have it on the computers and stuff uh, at the track. But it just, it just, you know, the magic is, I think, in that first weekend. And then, then you kind of – it gets to college – it's just college basketball again. And and I, I've never been to a Final Four. Maybe I'd say it differently if I'd actually been to a Final Four and seen the atmosphere and all that. But um, I, I get less interested. And plus, we get closer to baseball opening day. So Yeah, I, I think the beauty of the tournament is is there's so much going on yeah. that, like, if one game's a dud, you just flip it over to the other one. And one game always seems to be finishing up, and you're like, well, this is going to be a great finish. I'll just flip over here. So you don't have to sit there and invest yourself in 40 minutes of basketball. You can watch, like, three minutes 
uh, and get all of the excitement of the game. And you get to this round, they space them out pretty well. So I think all the games, do they even overlap any of the games at this stage? I don't think they do. Yeah. Or I mean, maybe, maybe they do. Maybe in this, ne- yeah, maybe yeah. this next round they do. But uh, yeah, once it gets out of like one game, it's like, well, that game better be good. Otherwise, I'm going to lose interest and just go do something else. Yeah. It's like the NFL Red Zone channel, right? I mean, that's right. what yeah. people love. Yeah. And then you, the 430 games come on and they're either good or they're not. Yeah. You know? it's two and, games going on. Okay, let's get into a little spring football here. Is that going on? <laughs> I don't. Well, have you been down there? Uh, how, how much have you seen of practice? This is how Tuesday. are they looking out? There? We are recording this on a Tuesday. This will be their third practice of the spring, and we still haven't seen them practice at all. There hasn't been an open session. That's not coming up until Thursday. I forgot about the third thing we could do that would really make people mad, and that's complain about our access. Well, I think this does affect people because they don't really True. know what's going on with the team outside of what's going on on Snapchat and other stuff. But they're a fifth of the way through spring practice after today. We haven't seen anybody. We haven't talked to a player yet. That was partly due to the snow last Monday. The players couldn't come because snow was canceled or school was canceled because of the snow. Uh, we talked to the coaches once, and that was five days before the start of spring. So they hadn't even seen the team out there or anything like that. Uh, it just it feels very odd to feel this disconnected from Virginia Tech going through its spring football. And I just I realize that's the way it is. That's just the way they're going to orchestrate uh, availability this time of year. But I feel like a lot of the fans lose out on knowing what's going on with their team. And I, I don't expect the coaches to be like, well, here's the depth chart, and here's everything we feel about every player. But... Uh, you could get a few more answers to what's going on. I feel like that would ratchet up some interest a bit more. Well, you're a big – you do a lot of big-picture stuff throughout the year. Uh, you know, where's the quarterback race and all those things. I've always found, at least in the past, you know, the spring was a great time to just go down and talk to somebody that nobody's talked to yet. Right. And really get to know them. That's relaxed. They're not doing any game planning or anything. So, you know, no, no, you're not asking any questions about opponents or anything. It's like – you know, the personality profiles are were ripe that time of year. I guess that's sort of uh, eroded a little bit here. When is the first opportunity you're really going to get a chance? Thursday. Thursday, okay. Thursday we got, I think, three players and a couple coaches. Uh, and I think the following Tuesdays we can actually request some players. Okay. And then who knows how the requests go. It's, it's always a 50-50 shot on some of these guys, whether they're going to actually be able to get them to show up. But, yeah, it just seems like a lot more muted than spring practices in the past in terms of the amount of news that's coming out of it. And I guess that's by design, but if I was a fan of the team and I wanted to know what's going on in spring football, I'd be kind of upset if the only thing I saw was, like, you know, two-minute Snapchat videos. They're just like, first of all, how do you even operate Snapchat? It's like the least intuitive uh, app that's out there. But, uh, yeah, I, I would just be like, okay, I'd like a little bit more information. Well, you've been here long enough. How would you gauge fan interest in spring football at Virginia Tech? It's a pretty big deal. Yeah. I mean, it was more than at Virginia, not more than Auburn. I mean, Auburn was to 24-7 football right. all, all the time, and the stakes were high even in the spring, it seemed like. Uh, but this, it's still pretty cared about. Uh, I mean, I think I would post stuff about spring football here and, a lot of times it would still get more hits than some of the basketball coverage, even, right. if, even if the team was in the tournament this time of year. So I, I think it's just what people care about most. And obviously, you look at the track record of success that Virginia Tech has had here, people are going to be really interested to the point where they care about, well, who's going to win the kicking battle or something like that, or who's on punt returns. And just sort of these like small you know observations you can make by being out at a practice, even if it's only like a stretching period and a little bit of – team drills or something like that. You can just get a better sense of what's going on with the team. We just haven't had that this year. I'm going to ask you to speculate here because speculation corner. Well, I don't think you know the answer, but I remember last year at the spring game, 
you know, there was a ton of people wearing blue jerseys, right? That's the jersey you don't yeah, not, you don't get, you don't go um, or or well, spring game they get there, they just don't even dress. Yeah, they just a ton of people you want to watch who weren't playing. Um, was that an anomaly, or do you think that's what we're gonna we're gonna see like a real watered down spring roster again? I think that's always the case, isn't it? I, I think that was even the case before. Is even if these guys had an inkling of an injury, they're like, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it to put them out there. I mean, this is just basically another practice in front of people. That's all the spring game is. If you talk to coaches, I think a lot of them don't like the spring game because they are their biggest fear is just like, okay, you're doing a lot of like contact stuff here. They just don't want anybody to get injured. I think they, that's why they do the running clock. That's why they have all the you know safety features for the quarterbacks not getting hit, stuff like that. Uh, I, I think they're just looking at the clock like, all right, is this thing over? Are we done with this? Because most of the work that they've done in the spring has been in the 14 practices before that. Well, this is a question I know you can answer. What do you think the spring game attendance will be? <laughs> you know I hate spring attendance questions. 60,000. I hate spring attendance questions. I, I hate it. We'll dive into that a little so more much. as we get closer to the it spring game. It does not matter how many people show up. Maybe it matters whether you're getting 20,000 versus like 1,000 like Virginia gets. And I know Virginia Tech fans will razz them forever versus the spring game attendance. But quite honestly, if it's a really nice day on April 14th, I think is when they're they're doing it this year. I'd much rather just like be outside doing something than maybe attending a, a practice. So I can't necessarily fault people for not going that. But I hate it when I'm like, oh, here's a rough estimate of what the crowd is. And people are like, are you kidding me? There were 50,000 people in the stands. It's like, yeah, just I don't care. This is a Twitter argument I don't want to get into. Well, I'm not on the space book or the, or the chat book. But you, you mentioned the Snapchat. Uh, how how is that Snapchat feed? I actually haven't pretty, checked it in a okay. while. Okay, I mean it's always just like short little clips. What I hate about it is is obviously like heavily edited, so it's it doesn't give you any kind of sense of what's going on at practice. You'll see some pass and people will overanalyze it. Like this guy looks pretty good. It's like <laughs> what if that was the only good play he made in the entire two hour practice? Like. I feel like sometimes it just sort of gives a false impression of what the entire practice is going like because people extrapolate this two minutes into two and a half hours of what it's like. So, uh, yeah, you can watch it and enjoy it and feel like you're getting a sense of it, but I don't think it gives you a real good picture of all of spring practice. Okay, my last question is, uh, is Facta Non Verba really catching on? Online, have you seen it? I don't. Uh, I haven't seen it, it all over the place. It hasn't okay. been one of these. Just like it hasn't been like cheese with Radford. <laughs> People love cheese. Although I think it was better when it was a mystery because once it came out, it was like commitment, hard work, enthusiasm. People were like, oh, it's just one of those. <laughs> like before, it was like this mysterious. Like right. what? What is cheese stand well, for? They so their warm up shirts say cheese. What is this? They were so protective of it. You thought this has to be gold, gold. Yeah, you went up to Caleb Tanner. What did he say? You're like, what does cheese mean? That's for that's for us to know. You to find out. That's funny because I went up to somebody like, what does cheese mean? He's like, well, it's commitment, hard work. And they're like, okay, all these guys didn't get the memo about what uh, what the acronym, how secret it was supposed to be. I just have an untrustworthy face, I guess. He knew, he knew I'd spill it all over social media. You came up there with a, like a fedora with says press. He's like, give me a scoop on what cheese. <laughs> All right, we like to end this thing with a prediction. Uh, why don't we do the final four? Who's the final four and who's your champ? I don't see any way Kentucky can't make it out of the South region with Kansas State, Loyola, and Nevada there. Uh, let's see, the West. 
God, these picks are going to be so boring now. I'm going to go with Michigan. They're kind of hot right now. They won the Big Ten. They, although they should have been out in the last round. They hit that shot that survived just barely. Uh, the Midwest. Kind of like Duke. I hate to say it. <laughs> it's an obvious pick, but I, I didn't like Kansas before the tournament. No, I, had, right. I had them losing in the, the second round, and they ended up winning. Uh, they kind of not played well, but won both of their games so far. I think they could lose to Clemson. Clemson's been playing really hot lately. And then the East, I'm picking Villanova because they've been the team that I've been most impressed with. I, I think Villanova will win it all now. That's uh, that's so boring. I know that's the obvious Final Four they have at this point, but I'm an obvious kind of person. So I'm actually going with the same four and the same champion. I I stole your thunder. Well, uh, you know, I know you're a Brownell hater, but yeah, good for Clemson to get get going there, really get working. I'm not Brownell hater. What is, what is this? Come on, I was the one that wanted to fire him for Will Wade last year. <laughs> the Clemson people. Yeah, Villanova, man, we saw him live uh, playing Radford. Of course, you know it's funny because Radford. I once talked to a Division three coach. I think it was the WNL basketball coach, and he says, he says, look, you know, we have good players. They just stopped growing. You know, that's the difference. <laughs> they just stopped growing. Instead of growing to six four, they stopped at six foot, and and you know that's why you know our, our games can look pretty nice. It's just they're just if you played up against a when they're playing other six foot right. Tall if players. you played a defense a D one team, you'd get crushed, and that's what the Radford Villanova matchup was. I mean, it was you know you look at Carly Jones and he's just a skinny little wraith out there. But he's a guy. He's a hero in the Big South tournament right. because he can be. But in this game, he's just you know. Is, uh, well, I think towering Mike, over him. Yeah, I think Mike Jones pointed out afterwards. He's like, you know, they, they've got this guy, Michael Bridges. Bridges, I think is his yeah. name. He's like, he's six seven, and he's just like elevating and shooting threes. It's like we can maybe contest him, but he's just going to jump over us and shoot threes. I mean, it seems like that was Villanova's entire team was like, oh, they have everybody can handle the ball, everybody can shoot. Even their six ten guys seem like they can shoot. That seems like it's a really tough team to beat. Maybe they'll get up against a West Virginia that presses you and takes you out of your, your rhythm and stuff like that. And I guess, you know, the first half against Alabama, Villanova didn't look great. They turned it on in the second half. But when I saw them in person, I'm like, can I repick my bracket? And certainly after I saw Virginia lose, I'm like, Villanova is the team that I would go with from here on out. Yeah, me too. I mean, I've been thinking – I mean, we've been hearing all year that Duke is the most talented team in the country. But I – I've yet to see Duke look like that. You yeah, know, talented yeah. and really together and, and really having, you know, clicking. Uh, so, yeah, Villanova, I think, is your is your odds-on favorite now going forward. Anything else you want to hit on? Baseball or anything? Nah, we'll, we'll get close to the baseball next week, I think. Okay, that sounds good. Well, this has been a good cast. Uh, for Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarlane. We'll talk to you next week.